You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. I invite you to take a seat this morning. You turn your Bibles uh, to Mark uh, chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. If you didn't uh, bring your copy of God's Word, if you slip your hand up, our usher will be more than happy to give you uh, a copy that you can follow along with. And this is your gift from us to you. If you don't have one at home, take it home and read it, we pray. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 20 verses as you get there. I just want to encourage you this morning. Last week, I wasn't preaching, so I actually got a chance to preach to the kids up in Harvest Kids. And uh, what an encouragement that was to me. There is no pretenses up there, that's for sure. (laughs) It was fun. And I assure you that your uh, parents, you're doing a great job with your kids. And uh, we have much to look forward to as our kids grow up. And if you don't have your kids up there, I I, uh, also encourage you, we have a great program up there, not just to babysit your kids, but to disciple them. And uh, God never said we had to do it all by ourselves. In fact, he said we couldn't do it all by ourselves. That's why we have community. And so our leaders up there take great diligence in uh, loving your children and teaching them the word of God in a way that is applicable uh, to their hearts. And so it was a little hard for me to get so their level, but I did my best. Hopefully they got something out of it. Here I try and get at your level. And so uh, let's get there today. Uh, Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 20. Uh, before we get to the actual text, I just want to tell you this. Today's uh, heart checkup Sunday. Today's heart checkup Sunday. You're like, uh-oh. I didn't come to church for that. Yes, you did. Just like we go to the dentist at least once a year. Why? Because we don't want to wake up one day and need dentures, right? Just like we go to the doctors once in a while because usually our spouses book us an appointment and we're like, I don't need to go to the doctor. I look like a million bucks and I feel like I'm 25 still. And she's like, just go. Or he's just go. And we go. Why? Because we do know that deep down underneath all that, there might not be, everything might not all be good in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And so we go just to be sure, right? Sometimes we go to the doctor thinking there's nothing wrong. We come out going like, oh my goodness, I have high blood pressure, I have cholesterol, or I have hopefully nothing worse, but sometimes, right? And you come out going like, whew, I'm glad I went. Now I can solve this problem before it gets too bad. Other times you go and you're like, I'm sure there's something wrong this time for sure. I'm so tired and I got all these aches and pains. I don't know where they came from. And you get there and you tell the doctor, I'm here because I'm dying. My spouse thinks I'm dying. I'm, I'm dying. And they look at you and you're like, you're fine. You're just getting old. And you're like, whew, that's great. But either way we go, good news or bad news, because then we can know where we're really at, and we can get on with life and take care of ourselves the best way we know how, and so that's why we do heart checkups as well. Because sometimes we think there's nothing wrong, you get a little deeper, you think, uh-oh, there is something so wrong here, I didn't even see it. Glad I saw that now, I can take care of it. God can take care of it. Sometimes you think there's something wrong in your soul, you get to the place where you look in the word of God, and you're like, actually, I'm doing far better than I thought I was, by God's grace, awesome. It's the enemy putting lies in my head. Either way, we just want to get to the nitty-gritty, the heart of where we're really at in our hearts. And so this is a great passage for that. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Today, let Jesus do an MRI. Let him do an ultrasound. Let him do an x-ray of your soul. What's your soul? It's the very being of who you are, the mind, the emotions, the will, all combined. That's the soul. Let him do an x-ray of your soul to see where you're truly at this morning with him and the things of him. Let me read for you uh, Mark chapter four. And I know the text is just gonna do the necessary surgical work it needs. So let me read it and then I'm just gonna help you understand it and unpack it for you. The parable of the sower, again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it in the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. 
And he was teaching them many things in parables, and, his teaching, and in his teaching he said this to them, listen, notice this is going to say listen at the beginning and the end, so this is a listen to this. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds yet fell onto good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, he who has ears, everyone here have ears? Put your hand up. Awesome. Hey, come on. What are you, Humpty Dumpty's out there? Everyone have ears? <laughs> Let him hear. Let us hear today. And when he was alone, those around him were with the 12 asked him about the parables. They're like, what's going on? What's these, what are these all about? And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you then understand all the parables? This one's the most important for you to understand if you understand any of the other ones. Here's what it means. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. Woo! And yet they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, they who, those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. It proves unfruitful, but, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. He who has ears... For the things of God, let them hear today. Listen, it says, pay attention. There's no sleeping in today's sermon or daydreaming or whatever you're doing after church. This is imperative for your souls to get a good picture of where you're really at. Jesus in this, this passage is talking in a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's just trying to say things in everyday language that we're going to understand so that the point he's trying to make doesn't like fly over our heads. It like sticks to our foreheads. Stories are powerful, aren't they? They make a point that sometimes you hear me preach the stories what you remember. Jesus talks in stories for the very same reason, yet it's not just to make it stick. It says here in the text that the parables are also given as spiritual tests to separate believers from unbelievers. See what it says there? To you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. In other words, God's not trying to keep secrets, but for those who... Those who God is working in and calling to himself. They're going to understand these things. Those who want to get it will get it. But for those outside that God's not working in or they're not really wanting to get this, it's imperable. So they're going to see these things. They're going to maybe see them, but they're not going to get it. Clearly in Romans 9 to 11, we see that, that Jesus calls some to himself and others, although he wants all to come, he has a purpose that they don't come to him. It's in Scripture. It's a hard truth of Scripture. And he tells parables to somehow separate the two so we know who actually is following Jesus and God's Spirit is working and who is not. 
It says here, this is a gateway parable. In other words, we need this parable. It's a salvation parable to get all the other parables. If you don't get this parable, you're not going to get all the other parables. This is the one that opens the door for the rest of the parables to make sense. It's a salvation parable. It's the acceptance of the gospel or the word of God. Let me define some terms before we understand this. So we're talking about the sower sowing the seed. The seed is key to this whole text. The seed is the gospel message of salvation. It's not a mere reference to God or you should check out this Jesus guy. This is the the truth of like the full gospel. It's a God-created man. That'd be you and I sinned. Jesus is a solution for that. God sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins, from our hopelessness of not being able to do anything about our sin, and now I respond in faith and repentance to put myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the seed that is being sown in this text. Who's the sower? It's whoever sows who plants the gospel. It's whoever gives the gospel tract. It's whoever gives the the word of salvation. It's whoever points someone towards Jesus Christ. We're all sowers, amen? Someone sowed into your life, thank God. Along the way, people came alongside and a little pat on the back or on the head maybe, you know, like, hey, Daryl, like, slow down a little bit. You need to hear a message that's important. Thank God for those that sowed in our hearts. We're just sowing other people's hearts, but who's the ultimate sower? God is. Every seed that's sown comes from God himself. So we're like little, little expert gardeners trying to sow seeds everywhere. God's the master farmer whose business is sowing seeds. And so really the crux of this parable is really helping us understand the four different types of soils or hearts and how we as humans respond to the message of the gospel. That's the main point. So as we sow seeds, here's how people are going to respond. As your seed is sowing in, sown in your heart, here's four ways. There's only four ways you respond to the truth of the gospel. Now, here they are. Really, I entitled this sermon, Heart Matters, but really I should have entitled it your heart matters, or my heart matters. What matters most in your life is your heart's response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apart from that, brothers and sisters, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how good of an athlete you are, how awesome your kids are, how much money you make, how good you look on the outside. This, at the end of the day, is all that matters. So here's the four heart responses to the gospel. It's, it's so plain, you almost don't need to preach it, but let me help you unpack this. Here's the first response. It's number one. It's the hard hearts. That I could care less about the gospel. I could care less about what you're saying right now, pastor. I'm only here because of someone brought me here because I thought it was a good place to be, but really deep down, I don't give two cents. See what it says here? I'll just focus on the second part of this because it's the explanation. So I'll focus on 13 to 20. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. Farmers out sowing seeds. And back in that day, they didn't have the big tractors and stuff to like get the seed in and cultivate. They just like walk around. It's all seems like they're just like throwing seeds everywhere. But what they're trying to do is get as much seed on the field as possible. And so they were just trying to get it right to the edge, take advantage of every inch of soil. And so some would actually, in fact, go onto the hard path. And so there's a hard path. Can you imagine planting seed on a hard path like that? What would happen to that seed? You already know what's going to happen. What's going to happen? Nothing is going to happen, right? Except the birds are going to get it. This is a picture of the hearts of some when they hear the word of God. In fact, it lands on the soil, and yet Satan, who is the bird, 
from the first part, immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. In other words, the word is preached the best way you know how, and for some reason it just seems like you're giving the word, it's like bouncing off the person's forehead, or maybe bouncing off your forehead this morning. Or as you're sharing the word of God, there's this like, you make sense to you, that person looking like, are you speaking Greek or Hebrew? Because this makes, maybe Aramaic, because this makes no sense to me at all. And you're like, but it's so simple. Ever been there? Maybe you're on the other end of that. Someone's explaining to you and they're all excited and you're like, this person's all jacked up, but I have no clue what they're talking about. It might be an indication that you're maybe one of the ones that the God today wants to penetrate that hard heart and help you see the reality of where your soul is at. But the truth is, not everyone's gonna receive the message and give you a hug and tell you how great you are for giving the message. There are some hard hearts out there that are gonna reject the message of God. Why? Because Satan will do whatever he can, even right now, to distract you, to discourage you, or dissuade you from even listening to the sermon. Because if this seed sinks deep in your soul, your life will change and you will be on God's side, which is God's plan for your life. And so he does anything he can to get people's hearts to be hard to the gospel. What is the reason? Let me just, let me just think about this this week. So this is as much as the text says. Let's just think about this a little deeper. This is in a practical level. So what are some of the reasons people's hearts are so hard to the gospel, do you think? Pride. Discouragement. Fear. Sin. Here's some barriers I've come across that I think you need to be aware of, maybe again for your own heart, maybe for someone else's, as we share the gospel. Here's some, here's some barriers that come up, that people come up against that really seem to keep their hearts in hard places. One of them is this. You can write these things down. I didn't give you slides, so it's made it really simple today, so you can just follow along. Is intellectual barriers. You're sharing the gospel. They give you the, always the yeah, but, the, the yeah, but response. Again, maybe you're giving me the yeah, but response today. It's intellectual barriers. You're, Worldview has been so ingrained in me that I'm not open to any other worldview. Where people get stuck on some nuance of the Bible that they just can't seem to reconcile that logically makes sense to them. A lot of people have this intellectual barrier. They see what the Bible says, they look at the way believers live, and they're like, there's a disconnect there, so it can't be true. Intellectually, it just can't be true. What about this one? Some people just can't make amends for the fact that there seems to be apparent contradictions in the word. And so they say because it seems to be apparent contradictions without looking deeply into it, they just close their minds to it. And, and there's this intellectual, like, I don't believe, I'm not going to believe, that's all there is to it. That's a hard heart, ultimately. Some have spiritual barriers. Intellectual barriers are spiritual barriers. There's, there's this reality that I've been born into this other religion. I've bought into this other system of belief. I've built my own way to relate to God through eclectically putting all my preferences together. And so this spiritual barrier, which is really a rebellion because really what we want is one God in our lives and that's gonna be me. Some have physical barriers and because they've suffered and seen other people suffer, they just can't reconcile that with a loving God or maybe somewhere in a physical place they haven't heard the gospel yet and so there's a barrier there. Here's the biggest one I think though today that, that comes up as we think of this and maybe again it's you here this morning, it's an emotional barrier. It's this reality that there is just far too much pain in this world, in my life, to truly trust that there is a God out there who is good and who loves me 
Do you realize this emotional barrier is usually the heart of even all the other barriers in people's lives? This reality that this happened, and it's just so painful. I can't believe there's a good God. They did, he said, she said. I've been hit by the pain locomotive and my life is a mess. And because of that, every other avenue of my life shuts down. And I just can't bring myself to believe that the gospel is actually true. I believe that's one of the biggest barriers today. I think the intellectual barriers in our culture. Because kids are growing up without ever hearing the true word of God, which is our responsibility to take care of. But the second greatest is this emotional barrier. In fact, I read the story this week. Um, C.S. Lewis, he's still tweeting in his death, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> he tweeted a story about a guy named Jacob McKelvey, and he's the founder and leader of the worldwide greater church of Lucifer. And it documented his journey to unbelief. And you know where it started? It started in a little field outside of his hometown at nine years old, uh, burying his sister who was his best friend from a snake bite. Grew up with the concept of God and a loving God and he couldn't reconcile how this God who loved him would take his sister. He had another sister who was special needs who took all of his parents' attention and he felt all alone. Anger was building. Got to high school and he was ostracized. He was a little bit overweight and, and he started getting this. He couldn't relate to anybody and then he, he realized from his upbringing he could relate to one person. That was Satan. No one else seemed to care. God wasn't doing anything for him, Satan. So, so he started in his garage this campaign to rid the earth of this God delusion and this ridiculous idea of religion. Unbeknownst to him, this is going to grow, grow into a worldwide movement of the church of Lucifer. Did this for many years and invested himself in this and dove into all this, this his, his newfound work, only to find a number of years later that he was just as empty as he was the day that his sister died. Now he had a dilemma. How do I work through this? And he, as the story says, true story, he was, he was driving uh, past a church one day in the United States and he had this all compelling urgency to go into this church. As, as he says, this, like, if I don't go into this church, I'm going to die urgency. So he walked into church, long story short, asked for a pastor who wasn't there, who called him back, who met with him and shared simply the love of Jesus. And guess what? That man, the guy who originated this worldwide church of Lucifer, he actually melted under the true love of Jesus and actually turned from his satanic ways and now truly follows Jesus. Amen. Look him up, Jacob McKelvey. Great story. But these barriers that make our hearts Hard. What is all this about? Here's what it's all about. Ultimately, it's, it's Satan's behind it all. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan's greatest goal, Jesus' greatest goal is to help you see himself. Satan's greatest goal is to put a blinder on your eyes so that you will not see, and he's gonna use whatever it takes to get a blinder on your eyes and something in your path so you won't see Jesus. Egos, lies, distractions, hurt, pain. 
that's you today, if your heart today, you came in and you were just hard as a rock, you're as hard as a, your heart's as hard as a winter road that's been plowed and ice has just built up, then let me just tell you this today before we move on. Jesus really does love you. More than you know. There is a God. He is absolutely real. And he has done whatever it takes that you would acknowledge him and know him. He sent his very own son to die on the cross for your sins when you deserve nothing from him. He gave you his everything. That's how much he loves you. And desires today to change that hard heart and make your heart soft and palatable to the things of him that you would truly know true life like you've never known it before. If you know someone with a hard heart, you pray to that. And if that's your hard heart today, you pray that God would soften your hard heart. He does the work. And let God press those seeds of the gospel deep into your soul. That's number one, it's hard hearts. Couldn't care less about the gospel. That's one heart. Is that you today? I pray not, but let's be honest if it is. No point hiding. Jesus sees it all. Number two, how about this one? The comfortable heart. I call this the easy street hearts. Verse 16, and these are the ones who sown on rocky ground. Throw the picture up there. Rock, oh, comfortable heart. Yep, get the, the rocky ground. Throw that picture up there. This is a picture of the heart here. Uh, the ones who then, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. They're like the woohoo people. They're like a kid who gets a birthday invitation. You know what I mean? Like, I got a birthday invitation. There's no question. I'm going. They're like the kid who gets asked out on a date when they've been waiting for two years for the big crush to ask them out. They're like, yes. Do you want to go? Yes, I do. Woohoo! You know, like the kid that gets their college acceptance back from the one they wanted to go to. There's this joy. There's this emotional experience. There's like, a, a, like this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me in the whole world. There's an emotionalism. There's probably tears. And there's so much happening. And yet, verse 17, and yet because they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of that very word that saved them, immediately they fall away. It's a little humbling here, isn't it? Because it's getting a little closer to home. Well, I don't have a hard heart, and I'm pretty excited about Christ right now. And also you realize, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We haven't encountered too much persecution yet or tribulation for my faith. Uh-oh, he could be talking about me one day. Like, let's be honest, this is the type of person you look at when they first become saved, and they're like, there's no way that anything's going to stop this person. They're so on fire, I want to be just like them. They're telling everyone about Jesus, they're reading their Bible, there's this, this, this glow that comes off them, and, and yet here's what's happening, here's what's happening, not that emotionalism is wrong, it's not wrong, our emotions are real and, and powerful, but what's, what here is what's happening is, is that life is not an emotional high. As MacArthur says, here's the people that their feelings were affected, but their hearts were not transformed. James tells us even the demons have an emotional response to Jesus, they, they understand, they see, and they shudder, they're like, uh... problem with some people is it's a superficial thing. They get all excited. They think it's just about emotions. And when the emotions fade, uh-oh. Or, or they don't take time to grow deep in their faith. It's like, the, it's like the relationship that never actually grows deeper than the, oh, she's hot. Ten years later, how do you love your life? She's still hot. Like, he's still a stud. But they haven't spent time with each other. They haven't grown through the ups and the downs. And next thing you know, it's superficial. And when better option comes along, what happened to that, super, that deep relationship? It wasn't deep at all. 
Some people get to know Jesus. They, they actually never get into the discipleship process. They never start reading the word of God and taking God seriously. They never, they never abide with God through faith and obedience and, and, and just a superficial, you know, life's good and you're good and I'm good. I'm going to come to church once in a while. I'm going to pop in. I'm going to pop out. And all of a sudden it gets hard. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's hard. It's hard. I've decided to follow Jesus until it gets hard. We've forgotten that Jesus gave everything for us, and when we actually sign up for this whole Jesus gig, it's given more everything back, including in the good seasons and the most difficult seasons of our lives. Anyone can say it's great when things are going well, but what happens when things don't go so well? Everyone can say Jesus is awesome as long as my life is, or Jesus rocks as long as my boat doesn't rock. But what happens when all of a sudden your faith is more of a detriment to your life or your relationships than you thought it was going to be a positive thing? What happens when your friends start saying to you, well, you don't party like us anymore, you're not like us, and as long as you don't party like us, you're not like us, please don't come back. What happens when you start hearing, as long as you hold Jesus close, I'm going to be far away? And that comes from your parents or your siblings or your relatives, or your kids, or your best friends, or your, grand, or, your, or your grandparents say, as long as you're gonna raise your kids like that, you can count on grandpa and grandma not being a part of your life. Or as long as you're gonna hold on to this integrity thing, hello to integrity, goodbye to your job. Then what happens? Well, what it's saying here is that Many people are going to fall away. That word fall away, it's not like they tripped and fell. It means that they fell away. Like they, they went away. Like they were going this way. They actually stopped and turned around and started going this way. Tribulation or persecution. That's not going to happen to me, really? Then let me get on your page because I love that too, but that's not the God page. In fact, in the small print of what we agreed to when we said we're going to follow Jesus... We see words like this in Jesus in the Bible. John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We're signing up for persecution, brothers and sisters. Do you realize that? Why are we so surprised? But it wasn't supposed to be like this. No, I get it. I don't like it either. Trust me on that. But it actually says in Luke 14 to count the cost. John 15, 18, the world hates Jesus and therefore, guess what? He is going to hate you too. Here's true faith. It's not this emotional high all the time. It's not this superficial, I'm good as long as everything, I'm good with God as long as everything's good in my life. It's this, is I've decided to follow Jesus. What's the next words to that song? I've decided to follow Jesus. No, say it with me, No. That's why we need each other. Because when it gets hard, you know what our natural response is? I'm turning back. I was all in yesterday, but today it's so hard, I'm all out. We need other believers to like, not just, not just superficially keep, to, to, to hold us in, to keep us in, to remind us, you're not turning back. There's too much at stake. There's too much cost of turning back to actually go through the cost of what it's going to cost to follow Jesus. What about you today? Are you in one of those hard seasons where you're thinking about turning back? Notice there's four different types of soil here. 
The first three would not be the positive examples. They'd be the ones, examples of those who actually truly didn't follow Jesus. Maybe their own man-made Jesus or their own ideas of Jesus, but they truly didn't follow Jesus. What about you today? You, in this place where you're thinking about turning back, where you maybe already turned back in your heart and you're here today, but you're long gone, let me encourage you that just this, Jesus will never give up on you. He will get you through the hard times. He will get you through the most difficult times. He will get you through confusing times. He, will, he promises to be there for you. And it's not even a matter of you white-knuckling it now. It's not a matter of you white-knuckling. It's like, hey, I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna be strong. I'm just gonna hold on. No, no, get this. Jude chapter 24. I love the book of Jude. It's, sorry, not chapter, verse 24. There's only one chapter. That's verse 24. Here's what it says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Brothers and sisters, if you're saved today, if you're thinking of turning back, this is your reality. The truth of the matter is, is that God will help you persevere. He will make you persevere. You just have to keep holding on to him. And he will never let you down. It's number two. Here's number three. Distracted. All over the map hearts. Distracted hearts are the hearts that are all over the map. And still other ones. This is a third of the four. This is a third of the three negative ones here. And other hearts, those that really didn't truly follow Jesus. The seed didn't go deep. Here's the truth. Uh, they're sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word, but get this, two things keep them from actually truly following Christ. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, three things actually, and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Again, these are those that seem strong and they're, they're going on for Jesus and there's no doubt they're never gonna turn back and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you all of a sudden start hearing them choke a little bit in their Christian faith. You hear a little bit of a little gasping for prayer and you're struggling a little bit and next thing you know like they're being suffocated by the enemy but also by themselves because they're chasing after the wrong things. Worries. Like, really? We're going to be judged for the worries of the world and yet and the cares of the world? I don't, I don't think it's the cares of the world that maybe you're thinking about. You know, there's some legitimate things in the world to worry about, isn't there? We have kids and families and parents and got to feed them somehow. And I got to, you know, those are some legitimate worries. Roof over our heads and there's bills to pay and there's all kinds of clothes to come. And those are legitimate worries that I'm not sure God's even looking like. You're worrying too much. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think that's it. Because we care about our, some of those things we need to, but yet we've... Can't also fail to remember the promise of Matthew 6. Like God's gonna take care of you like he does the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He's gonna take care of you. I think these are more the worries that we come up against, the worries uh, like some of these kind of things, the, the worries because we're so consumed with impressing others. We get so wrapped up in living up to some ridiculous standard you've created for yourself in parenting and work and school and sports and art and keeping up with the Joneses. You get so concerned with your life that you forget about caring about Jesus' life. Been there, done that? Me too. Worries. We're so worried about ourselves that we have little time to worry about Jesus. What about riches? I mean, riches we know. We know that riches aren't evil. Like money is not sinful in and of itself. But man, are we like fish with the lure on this one, aren't we? Money, it's shiny. It's got a hook on the end, but it's shiny. It's amazing how wealth deceives. Poor want much, 
Rich want more. The almighty dollar, let me be honest with you, has sent more people packing for hell than anything else in our culture today. Again, it's not money is bad in itself. This absurd desire for it, the status that we derive from it, the pursuit of it above all things. So many people, it seems today, have reconciled in their minds that we can have the world and have Jesus too, and that's just the way it is, so get off my back. I can have the world and have Jesus too. Well, listen to what it says in Matthew 6, 24. It says that you cannot possibly, you cannot possibly serve two masters. Impossible to serve both God and the world and money and the cares of these things of the world is impossible. It's like going to an English soccer game and trying to be neutral. <laughs> they have cages for a reason. Because you're on one side or the other. That's why we watch them on TV. It's impossible. And some people think that I'm going to be the first one to do this. I'm going to be the first one to do this. Can I just encourage you as your pastor today with a loving rebuke? No, you're not. No, you're not. How do people go? How do people get there in this place of like, you used to be all fired up and, and how do we fall in the power of the world? It's a slippery slope. Some people are dangling your feet over that slide even right now. Things you used to be excited about, you're not excited about anymore. You're so wrapped up in the things of this world and your career and all those things. Your feet are dangling over that slippery slope slide and you might not even be aware of it. How do you know if your feet are dangling over that slippery slope of like being all in for Jesus and jumping over that fence and being all in for the world? How do you know? Well, I think it's when you start using the word I used to a lot. I used to. I used to be so fired up for Jesus. Remember those days? Oh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Oh man, I used to get in my word every single day and, and now it just seems like so many other things are so important compared to the word of God. And my prayer time used to be the best. Now I think about it, that's like two years ago and my job and my kids and my family and looking after the almighty number one. Oh, I used to be so involved in small group. That used to be the best time of my life but we've moved beyond that now. Now we're here in this other phase of life that has nothing to do with really anything with the Christian community. Or I used to be so active in service. I used to serve. I used to serve. I used to serve. But quite honestly, I just don't have time for that anymore. Maybe another day. You keep going. You're doing your thing for Jesus. Can you get out of my face now? Different phase of life. I used to do that stuff. Now I don't. Again, a warning to you. This is what these pastors are here to warn you. Your feet are dangling over the slide. And that would be a good time to start pushing yourself back up the slide. You ever been there? Push yourself back up the slide and like hold on to those bars and get yourself back up and stand up and get down off the slide and get back on Jesus' side. None of us are immune to this. Even your pastor. None of us desire this or think this is going to be us. Who at the end woke up at the bottom of the slide going like, this is exactly where I ended up planning on being. None of us. Thus the words of warning and encouragement to us today. Doesn't say how long it's been since they accepted Christ. Some people can do this, really seem like they're following Christ for 20 years or 30 years. Next thing you know, and they're in their Later years or mid-years, all of a sudden they're nowhere near Christ. Well, what happened? The world slowly crept in. The world slowly crept in. Satan slowly engaged and slowly engaged and slowly engaged. You're like, oh, I'm getting used to that. And I was kind of like a dog, dog collar. And then 
choked out. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say this. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. If there's a used to anything in your heart, let me encourage you. To, Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus. Return to your first love. Repent and return to your first love this morning. That's what God wants for you and longs for you. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. The accepting heart, the soak it all up hearts, the good soil. Notice this is the only one that would be evidence that there's truly, truly life change and truly God doing something in their hearts. 75% of these are on the negative, uh, only one quarter, 25% are on the right response. It just shows you that narrow is the path that leads to life, as the scriptures say in other places in the Gospels. We don't expect everyone to respond, but yet we count our lucky stars that God has worked in us to respond, Amen. Lucky stars is probably a bad, bad terminology there. No such thing as lucky stars, just to clarify. We count our God's graces in our lives that he has opened us up to see. And so here's the, here's the heart that truly accepts the word of God. It's, it's the one that, Jesus, that understands Jesus died to make this possible, that, that God has gone before us to prepare the soils. It says in John 6, 44 and 65, that the Holy Spirit has actually invested hours in cultivating and tilling the land so that when the word penetrates the eardrum, it descends to the inner being and the fruit of belief springs up. It's a person that's like, your heart's like a sponge to the things of God. Like, yeah, bring it on. I'm soaking it up. I'm soaking it up. And I'm soaking it up so much, it's just leaking all over the place. But bring it on. Bring it on. It's I see that. I hear that. I want to do something about that. Let me assure you of this as you look at this parable here of the seeds landing on soils. Uh, this seed that lands on good soil, it is all God. It's all God. John 5 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, my Father in my name, he may give it to you. It's all God, but yet I have an opportunity to respond today. Hebrews 3.15 also says this, today if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. It's a direct command. Don't harden your heart. In other words, God does it, but we respond and when God truly enters in, you know what happens? You know what happens? You don't have to wonder if you're bearing fruit. You're bearing so much fruit, you can't contain it all. You have so many baskets of fruit, you're giving it out to all the neighbors because you're like, I got all this fruit. I don't know what to do with it. It just keeps popping up on the vines. It's popping up on the vines. And I've never had that problem, but I don't know what to do with this. Usually I'm asking my neighbors, can I have some of your tomatoes? Mine aren't growing. 30-fold fruit, 60-fold fruit, 100-fold fruit. This is far beyond any farmer's expectation, especially in that day without combines and fertilizer. They were thinking 8% was a good yield. Or 10%. This is, this is a 3,000 fold or a 6,000 fold or a 10,000 fold response uh, uh, crop. This is like nothing ever seen or heard in that day. And this is what happens when God truly moves in. That seed of the gospel is implanted deep in your soul. The Holy Spirit bears fruit. They'll know you're my disciples by your fruit. Not fake fruit, real fruit. When was the last time you went to the banana factory? Go ahead and let me put up your hands because there isn't one. Because you can't make fruit. The apple plant. Somebody was trying to make her own fruit. You know how, you, you know how fruit comes? 
letting the seed of the gospel drive deep into your soul. Abiding with Christ, understanding that your life is like a greenhouse. God plants the seed, you respond, you water it together, you pull out the weeds, you care for the garden, but you're always under the care of the chief gardener who's growing you and pruning you and tending to your heart and caring for you. And if you allow yourself to be submitted to the spirit of living God, guess what? He is gonna grow fruit in your life. You can't even help the fruit to grow. What is some of the yield of a Christian? We're talking grain here, but we're not talking grain in our lives, right? Like, who cares about grain? What's the fruit that God wants to grow in our lives? It's obviously the fruit of a, a heart that loves Christ, a fruit of a heart that starts to look like Christ, that's depicted, the, 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 the picture looks like Christ. It's, if God's truly working in you, you know what's happening? Day after day, year after year, you're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, and you're beginning to look a lot more like your Savior than you did when you were first saved. Just like when our kids grew up, you're like, they're little cute little babies, and then when they're teenagers, you're like, oh, they look like me. But they were so cute at one time. When God's spirit really moves in, he starts growing you to start looking more like your son. The difference is you start looking more beautiful as you get older, not less. Your characters change. In fact, fruit of the spirit starts springing up within you that people not by your outer appearance. Let's get past all this, like I wear the right things as a Christian, I part my hair the right way and I carry the right Bible. Not, not by the outer appearance, but by the inner appearance, your character, the way you interact with people when no one's looking, the way you interact with God when no one's looking. Fruit of the Spirit springs up and people look at you and say, that person is definitely reaping the rewards of a, the gospel in them. Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is this, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what happens in you. That's the fruit God wants more than anything else, that you look more like Jesus today. It says against these things there is no law. Why is there no, no law against these things? It's clearly evidence that Christ is in you. And if Christ is your defense, nothing can stand against it's the depiction of Christ, the fruit we're going for. It's, let me remind you the three Ds that we stand on as a church. This is the fruit we're aiming for. It's, it's the, the fruit of a gospel-saturated heart. I don't have to command you to do these things. I don't have to like pound you. These things are just happening in you because Jesus is happening in you. It's delighting in Jesus Christ. It's worship and adoration that springs up at any given moment, on any given day. Even the hard days, you find yourself singing worship songs because the Spirit of God is compelling you to. And you're humming a tune when you think you should be grumbling against God, but you're humming a tune. That's evidence of a fruitful yield in you that is beyond what you can do. It's delighting in Jesus in your own home and your little dance parties and, and having your own little worship service. It's delighting in Jesus even as a church. Coming here and worshiping together in living then the rest of the week and acknowledging Jesus and what I think and what I feel and what I do and what I sing. My delight in Jesus is actually not something I have to work at because I'm abiding in Christ, but it's something that's growing in me. If you have to be exhorted to worship, even just stop and be still and know that I am God again. If you have to be guilted into loving Jesus or getting to church or pushed it's a good time just to sit and ponder the reality of Christ and what he's done and who he is and how you're the most blessed person in the universe because of one reality, Jesus Christ.
The fruit is delighting. The fruit is also devoting to Jesus, committing to him in, in the word and prayer. And we always think of devoting and, oh, here's my spiritual disciplines. Here's my spiritual disciplines. Actually, there's spiritual disciplines, yes, but they're a delight to us at the same time. The more you delight in Jesus, the more you want to get into his word. You want to hear his voice. You want to know his will for your life. You want to invest yourself fully in him. The more you want to talk to him and pray and desire the things of, of God. These are all evidences of God in you. The more you want to be with other believers instead of running away, the more you want to be with other believers because you realize that you can't do this life on your own. You need people in your life to keep you accountable and even exhort you sometimes, but also to encourage you through the journey of life. Fruit of gospel impact, growing like Christ, delighting in Christ, devoting to Christ. And that our commitment to him and each other are not simply a part of my life. They are my life. And then displaying Christ. Here's the fruit of what we have in our lives. As Christ moves in, as our hearts are truly receptive to the things of him, we're going to display Jesus Christ just by the nature of delighting in him and being devoted to him. Displaying Christ is just going to come naturally. That, That sponge that's soaking it all up, it's just getting so full that everywhere you go, that sponge is leaking out onto everybody else and making everybody else all wet too. And you wring it out, and you wring it out in some cases, but then guess what? It just keeps getting filled up again and filled up again as you sit before Christ and you can't, you just can't possibly keep it all in. You start loving more freely and serving more sacrificially and giving more generously and proclaiming more openly the reality of Christ. And your head and your heart and your will are in perfect symmetry with Jesus Christ himself. That's why we need heart checkups. Is my heart, my mind and my soul and my will, my emotions, they all wrapped up and they all were living in equilibrium and cohesion with Jesus Christ. Reality is, brothers and sisters, this is hopefully an encouragement but also a challenge to you because reality is is that there's so many people in this world that miss out on heaven by 12 inches. That's why the heart's so important. Especially in church, we got it all up here. Missing it where it matters most right here. Some of you this morning have come for a heart checkup. You didn't know you were getting a heart checkup. You got it. Some of you can clearly say, you know what? I'm in one of the first three categories. Oh, my goodness. I thought I was awesome. Now I realize that I need to get on my knees, and I need to repent, and I need to get back with Jesus. Can I tell you, this is a, a work of grace in your life. It's not to condemn you. It's not to, to pound you. It's, it's a work of grace that God is drawing you back to himself. He's drawing you to a place where you can see his love again, understand his, his mercy and his forgiveness. He's drawing you to a place where your heart was meant to be in his presence. Some of you are coming in, coming out going like, man, I didn't know. May, not, may this not discourage you. May this not harden your heart more. May this bring you to Jesus. That's, that's why he has this in here, to call you to himself, a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. As of you today maybe came in and thinking, you know what, like I thought I was doing really bad, but I realized this last, this last one, that, that is me. God is producing fruit in me that I didn't even realize was being produced. And I can't even believe I'm sitting here today because the hard season I just went through, I'm still here. That's evidence of God. 
And my desire for God is still growing. And, and the things that I am failing for sure. Who's here failing? Every one of us is failing. I'm failing, but there's evidence. That my character is slowly being changed. And I'm still delighting in the word of God. And I'm still committed to all the things I was committed to 20 years ago. And, and praise the Lord, I'm actually in a healthy place before God. Now, I don't want you to feel convicted if you don't need to be, conv- be convicted this morning. Maybe you need to just celebrate today all of God's grace and goodness in your life. And thank him, by his mercy, you are one of those who's producing fruit. Notice you don't control how much fruit you produce. 30, 60, 100, who who controls that? God does. You don't control any of that. You just put yourself at Jesus' feet and say, thank you, Jesus, for the mercy you've shown me. So for some of us today, it might be a re-up moment. My heart checks here, I need to re-up now. I need to re-up with God. I need to get serious business with God. Other of us, it's just a rejoice moment. God, I'm rejoicing today because of all that you are and all that you've done. Thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts today. Reality is some of us are probably squirming. And we want to hide from you right now. May you not let that happen, Lord, in your love. May you draw out the full reality of our hearts. Holy Spirit, convict us where we need convicting today. And may we not run from it. May we run to you, O oh God. God, for those who just need encouraging today, would you drive this deep in their souls? God, would you protect us all? Thank you for Jude 24, Father, that he who is able to keep us from stumbling will present us before God, blameless one day. Jesus, you're our hope. You're our meaning. You're our purpose. You are our everything. May you take this word and do with it as you see fit for our good and your glory. Amen.